Hello and welcome. Today you are listening to A Little Bit at a Time, where we uh, bring on guests to help us learn more about the cryptocurrency industry. Today I have a really special guest, it should be a really good one, uh, and it's a guy, Bernardo, who is from LastBit, which is a software company that's aiming to bring Bitcoin adoption to the mainstream and to help you, you know, buy simple things such as a coffee. They're going to be using the Lightning Network, which is a network uh, on the blockchain that's going to help transactions move a little faster um, and you can bring down the transaction fee. Uh, so without further ado, let's jump right into it. And uh, first, let's hear a little bit about your background just so we can get to uh, know you a little bit better. So my, my background is uh, more in management consulting. Um, I spend part of my career, well, the beginning of my career, I would say, at McKinsey. I spent two and a half years at McKinsey. There, I did a lot of work for financial institutions. 80% or so of my time actually worked for banks. Mm -hmm. I didn't really touch crypto back then. I really wanted to, like, kind of find all the tiny details in that industry uh, to be able to kind of, like, change the structure of the industry. I, I always really like financial services because I do feel that they're kind of like the banks of the world. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, like money is kind of that oil that makes everything happen. Uh, and banks and financial institutions are kind of like those things that make money and incentives move. So I was always very passionate about financial services. Mm -hmm. That's why I kind of devoted so much of my time in McKinsey. And then I came to business school with the same idea. Back then, I really felt I wanted to go back to McKinsey. As you know, McKinsey is a big school. Uh, there's so much, so much resources, so much to learn. So I kind of wanted to go back and try to see if I could change things. Um, yeah. I wanted to use my time in the MBA to explore more disruptive technologies in financial services. That's when I kind of started to read about blockchain, about Bitcoin. Quite honestly, I didn't understand it all that well. Uh, there's, as you know, very little information. There's some people that think they know, but they don't really know. So it's kind of like at the beginning, it's kind of hard to get yourself into understanding this. Mm -hmm. So I just like decided to explore a little bit more of that, like from an academic nerdy uh, point of view, I bought some books, I did some reading from some people that knew about the subject, mm -hmm. but I thought my professional career was more oriented uh, towards say, the traditional banking industry. Uh, and that's kind of the, the path I, I covered for most of my MBA. Uh, to a point, I also decided to do my internship in a bank. I kind of like wanted to work from what I defined back then as the customer's point of view, the client, uh, very right. consulting mindset, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which was a bank. So I went down to Peru to work with a large bank there, BCP, um, and had an amazing experience. I, I got an amazing leadership role with direct exposure with one of the biggest uh, Chairboards there, uh, leading some amazing people, leading some very interesting projects in digital transformation. Mm -hmm. And again, like the experience was amazing. I had a lot of resources, a lot of amazing people that uh, were following my lead, uh, interacted with very senior people in the bank. But like something was a little off, you know, it, it was kind of hard to move things forward. Uh, there was a lot of bureaucracy happening. Yeah, the bank is, was urging to push forward and they've done amazing work, but they just kind of struggling to balance that risk of your attitude with that, like a little bureaucracy, like that institution of that size have. So mm -hmm. I kind of came back last year to the area with like, yeah, happy with the experience, but also with a lot of clarity that that was not the way to go. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, at that time is when I started to explore more uh, intentionally. Mm -hmm. uh, and eventually through Skydeck, which I don't know if you're familiar or not with Skydeck, but Skydeck is uh, the accelerator of UC Berkeley, um, which right. is an amazing program. They put it together. It's now really contending arguably with YC, the Y Combinator, which is like this super prestigious program. Through there, through the school, I eventually met uh, my now co-founder, Prashant. And then it's when I really started like just understanding hardcore what Bitcoin was. And it's like right. completely, completely blew my mind. Mm -hmm. I came into the project with the expectation of having this being like a short-term thing, was kind of like almost playing around, trying to learn a little bit. I'm always being very geeky. So it was like the school unexplored field. I wanted just to learn as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And then now it's just like my full-time job, you know, I'm passionate, right. I'm committed. So I've learned so much things. I mean, we can walk, I can walk you through the specifics of what I've learned, why it has blown my mind. But that's yeah. kind of like my short story of how I'm here, how I started. Right. Yeah. What's uh, like, what's your favorite aspect of Bitcoin? Because I think it's super interesting when somebody comes from like a yeah. banking background and gets into it. Because I know when I first originally got into Bitcoin, it was because I got permanently banned on PayPal. Uh, back when I was 13 years old. And so that's when I jumped into Bitcoin because I saw kind of the uh, the gap between financial institutions and their customers. And so I was like, okay, yep. I guess Bitcoin makes sense. And back then, no one really knew about Bitcoin. So like the information was pretty like, you know, consolidated. Now there's information on a million different websites and it's probably like overwhelming for people to get in. Yep. Um, but yeah, what like what's your favorite aspect of it? Okay. Ooh, I think there's a lot, but I think there's two aspects that really, really blew my mind. Uh, one, I'm an economist. I studied economics back in undergrad. So one is the economic aspect, the monetary aspect of Bitcoin. And I can talk a little bit more about what I mean with that. And then the second thing is the social aspect, uh, which is kind of like it derives directly from the monetary aspect. So the economic aspect, it blows my mind because it really forces you to challenge what money is i remember when i was starting to study bitcoin i was like what is this what it comes from it's based out of nothing it's just like computer code and it then it really forced me to think like oh wait but that's money in general like it's based out of nothing like it's just like there's no difference between the central bank defining what they believe the economy is going to look like and printing bills versus like someone writing a code that has monetary rules so that like when I started to think about that, it would just blew my mind. And then when you start to think carefully, people say, oh, but this is made out of nothing, it's speculation. But if you carefully think about what Bitcoin is, is the one first form of money that's actually tied to real economic value or potentially can be tied to real economic value. Our central banks determine their monetary policies. They do some assessment of the economy and they literally decide how much money to print or what interest rates to, to put out there. So they can make people believe there's some sort of activity and then they just push things forward. That's kind of like, I understand why they do it, but it's not ideal. Where actually Bitcoin, how, how economic, uh, how money is created in Bitcoin is through transactions. And if you eventually manage to link transactions to real things, then those transactions are really related to economic value and to real production. And that's mind blowing if you carefully think about it. So that's one thing. And then the second thing for me, it's, as, as I said, it's the social aspect of the technology. That's why I think it's so disruptive and so different. Like, we all live in societies with very strict social constructs and, and social rules. And those social rules are enforced through the government. And the government has power 
usually through monetary policy, what they call sovereignty and stuff like that. So when you start moving that monetary power from a central authority, from a, group, a limited group of people to the people, to the general population, that becomes amazingly powerful. You can start thinking about really having a global community with freedom in which the idea of having a life worth more because they were born in Pakistan or Nepal or Mexico versus someone's life was worth objectively more if they're born in Germany or in the US, that kind of just can completely dissolve now with a concept like Bitcoin and the centralized money. So those are for me the two very, very powerful concepts that when I finally understood Bitcoin, it just completely blew my mind. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I totally get that. When I like, when I first got into Bitcoin, I remember someone sent it to me and then I was like, you know, what can I buy with this? And they were like, oh, well, you just have to find someone who accepted it. And I was like, I got scammed. <laughs> and then it like, took me of another course. full year to even get back into it. Cause I was like, I just got scammed. Like, of course, of, of, of course. Oh, I think your audio just cut out a little. I think I lost you. Can oh, you yeah, hear no. me back? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. Um, but that's why I think it's amazing what, uh, you know, you guys are doing at last bit is because you're really connecting Bitcoin now to actual items that you can purchase. You know, like you, uh, I think on the website, you mentioned that you want to uh, allow people to buy Bitcoin or allow people to buy, say, coffee with Bitcoin uh, and connect them to real world assets. Whereas before Bitcoin was just kind of magical Internet money, essentially. Yeah, that, that's right. So, it, I mean, we can talk a little bit more about that. So if you think like ideally how I think this should work in the long term is you should have, of course, people using Bitcoin and just receiving Bitcoin and then there should be no intermediaries at all, right? Right. That's so kind pegging of it is problem. kind of bad, right? You would say if you like uh, by pegging it to like a US dollar, it's it's sort of negative, right? Yes and no. Like the, yeah. I think it's a complex answer to that question. So mm -hmm. I think in the long term, yeah, that's kind of the utopical state of the world in which, like, one, not until people actually are feel comfortable directly receiving their salaries in Bitcoin, right. using that to pay for goods and services, selling their cars in Bitcoin, paying their rent in Bitcoin. Like, the promise of Bitcoin will never fully deliver, right? That's mm -hmm. as simple as that. But right now, we're in the state where people don't trust that decentralized uh, system. They don't trust that in the form of money. So our vision as a company is that kind of we need to bridge it somehow. Uh, we need to build confidence. We need to show people that they can actually use it uh, mm -hmm. first. So that's why I, I do believe and we do believe that partner with banks, with uh, payment networks is not a bad thing in the short term. We're kind of like showing people little by little what they can do with it, helping them doing little things with them and then just empower them to just take that and do it full on completely by themselves. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important when you're dealing with, you know, cause you're, you're basically trying to adopt Bitcoin by allowing, you know, everyday usage of it um, and basically creating a, a platform where it's frictionless and it's not, you know, as hard as it is right now, that, that would be that's amazing right. for it. And so I think, yeah, that's like a really uh, important benefit of your you know project is, that you're creating a, a frictionless area that you can, you know, basically instantly you just buy coffee without really uh, putting in that much effort. Because I did see uh, on here, let me just screen share really quick. I did see on the uh, website here, you kind of have uh, a little example of how it'll work. And this seems like extremely easy. Uh, you know, the user interface on is really nice. Uh, and it's, so it's basically, uh, 
really frictionless. Anybody can use it. Uh, and I think that's an important aspect that Bitcoin never really had. You know, wallets back then using multi-bit was so hard to use. So yeah, yeah. accepting and receiving was was really hard. Um, yeah. And we also kind of like want to break a lot of this myths that you need, as you said, need to be highly technical or you need to be someone completely crazy to be able to use it. Like if this technology is going to change the world, it should be easily usable uh, mm -hmm. and usable. You know, it's not like this crazy internal money you can play around with and, and you can log in into this complex trading platforms and kind of like you're playing with real money, but you're not really doing anything but like bets. We want this to be useful, helpful, and actually empower people to use it, um, to defend themselves from abusive governments, to irresponsible monetary policies. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we're trying to do here. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's amazing. I also did see that you guys had over uh, five hundred thousand euros. I think it was like five hundred and thirteen thousand euros in funding as well. Um, I believe yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Close to $600,000 yeah, so far. Yeah. yeah. And that's amazing because that was only two funding rounds, I believe, right? It's one funding round. One uh, we funding have round. a pre-seed round. Yeah, we're close uh, to launching our product finally in Europe. And, and we're looking to, to raise our seed round finally. That should help us. I mean, this is still not official, of course, but mm -hmm. this will allow us to scale in Europe and probably to launch a similar product in the U.S. Right. Yeah, because uh, I think uh, like something like Visa costs around a million dollars or something you have to have minimum funding for that. Or... Uh, yeah, that, they changed the rule. Uh, when we started, they were oh. trying to fill it in this, this program back then. Uh, mm -hmm. They had a, initially established a, a limit of one million dollar funding to work with them. Actually, they changed now. They are being very proactive about bringing smaller companies like us. Uh, mo most companies that are working in disruptive technologies are not super well-funded uh, right. and if you really think about it those small companies are the ones who need the help of a, a, a program like they're one they're putting together so now they're making it a little easier to work with them uh -huh. they are also being more active and more proactive about bringing cryptocurrency companies on board which i think is great again our position as a fintech company especially uh, working on bitcoin is we do need the help of those big players we do need help of those big banks uh, and we can both help the environment and the ecosystem grow. Right? Uh, we need their help to get to our customers and to make lives easier for our customers. And at the same time, I think uh, we can help them tap a completely new market, all that underbanked, underserved market, uh, markets of, uh, where countries uh, have irresponsible monetary policies where they cannot control the government, but they don't have some sort of like financial freedom, if you will, uh, all those markets can be easily up with something like Bitcoin. So it's, if you ask me, it's a win-win situation for both. And uh, I think we had it relatively clear from companies like us. I know, I think from what I'm seeing uh, from bigger companies, they, they're starting to realize that it also makes a lot of sense for them to work with us. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and, you know, you guys are using the Lightning Network as a technology behind it because Right now, it wouldn't really be feasible to buy a $3 coffee with a $6 transaction fee, you know? So, uh, yeah, so just walk me through, a uh, you know, quickly, how does the Lightning Network, you know, actually uh, help this technology? How does it, how does it lower it? How does it lower the transaction cost? Absolutely. I'm going to explain it maybe in a few levels. First, mm -hmm. from very simple and 
then a little bit more complex. I don't want to get super technical, right. super mm -hmm. complex, but yeah. the short answer is like, uh, for me, the Lightning Network is very simple. The Lightning Network for Bitcoin is what Venmo was for, for wire transfers in the US, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a very simple way of sending money virtually free to anyone you know. That's exactly exactly what Lightning Network is. It's nothing more like that. Uh, how it enables uh, for us to do that from a technical point of view, it's actually very, very interesting. It's very elegant. Um, so the way we work, it's, it's basically a routed payment network. What this means is there's a lot of technical jargon, but it's relatively easy what it means. Routed, it just means that for me to get to you, for example, Tim, I'll just find a way through other people that are in the network. So imagine we have a network of, say, five people. It's me, it's Alice, it's Bob, and then you, Tim. You don't really have a channel with me, but I want to send money to you. So I'm just going to find a way to send money to Alice, Bob, and then we'll do you. And then the way it works in Bitcoin, it's interesting because what you need to do is create those payment channels. So imagine. I, Bernardo, have a channel with Alice, Alice has a channel with Bob, and Bob has a channel with you. The way you do it is you create this, what's called escrow accounts. So I, for example, if I want to transact $100 with you, then I will log $100 equivalent to Bitcoin with Bob, and we will actually publish that transaction into the blockchain. So the, the actual confirmation of creating that channel, which would take 20, 30, 40 minutes, depending on how much it would take for that moment in time. But once that channel has been established, we can just freely transact. And that's the magic of, of, of Lightning. Of course, right now it's a little tricky because as you probably have already realized, we kind of need to build that network. We need to build those right. channels. We need to send those channels to the blockchain to be actually able to operate with that. Which mm -hmm. is kind of exactly how Benmo and stuff like that works, by the way. Yeah, that is interesting because I, I know a lot of people that was the, the fault of the Lightning Network was that you needed to have uh, these channels. But then, as you can see here, this was from Coindesk. There's over $12.3 million uh, that's currently yep. being used on it. And it looks like it's at all time highs. Uh, that's right. So, it, you know, it's something highs, that people yeah. are actually using. Uh, and I think that's the thing about, you know, crypto is that, you know, anything could work we need to, you know, explore and at least try anything, right? Because there's really no point in, there's, there's no problem with, uh, you know, not trying something out. So um, that is that is a really interesting aspect of it. Um, and if this happens, uh, so it's really off-chain transactions is really what it is, right? That's right. Right. And if you think about it, I think like uh, some people don't realize, and it's normal because it's a very disruptive technology, Bitcoin is kind of like the basic rules of a new technology. Mm -hmm. You kind of need to think back to the internet, how that evolved. At the beginning, it was just a protocol to connect information between two points. Uh, Bitcoin, the base layer of Bitcoin, it's kind of like a, a similar level, but it's just way more powerful. It has this economic principle. It has this trustless principle. It has this, um, that makes it so, so much powerful. But a lot of things need to be built on top of that to make it actually useful. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's why, layer two protocols such as lightning network are just not not going to change it but it's going to completely evolve it and allow us to do things that are very completely unimaginable uh, yeah no definitely i i totally agree um and uh, yeah it's funny because i was actually just reading uh your article based on you know talking about crypto and uh the new age of the internet and how that kind of you know like translates to 
yeah. uh, you know, this industry as well. Um, yeah, so that, that is that is really uh, interesting. And you guys also have a wallet on on it as well that you can use if you'd like. So you so you yeah, have right. you have a secured uh, wallet to kind of help you store and send and to receive crypto all in one uh, you know easy and convenient place as well. I mean, the idea we're trying to actually solve the complexity seven like of how to manage those channels. So if you think about why it's hard to like actually have and host yourself a Lightning Wallet is because you need to create those channels to send and receive and the actual network is a little bit unstable. So you, if you want to operate by yourself a Lightning uh, node, a Lightning mm -hmm. Wallet, right. well, what you need to do is go download a specific software, make sure you have sending and receiving channels. So we're kind of trying to help people have this experience in a very simple, seamless way in which you log in and you already have that liquidity provided. We on the back end make sure you have sending and receiving channels. And for you, it's just a CCS just to click a button and just send the money wherever mm -hmm. you want to or receive it. That's kind of like what we're trying to just make this very complex and technical technology available for pretty much anyone that can download the app. Yeah. So again, it's basically you're just trying to cut the friction out of you know doing it. Uh, you don't have to research everything about Lightning to be able to use your product because uh, right. you guys are doing it on the back end. So that is that's nice. right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, and just think about it. Imagine you would need to understand the fundamentals of how like your wire transfer works to be able to actually send it, right? Imagine right. you would need to do the settlement of the transaction yourself. It's just like not going to happen. It's not reasonable. Or imagine just like even consumer goods like uh, that you would have your iPhone delivered in, in pieces and you would need to put it together by yourself. It's like, that's not how it works and it's normal. So people work in very specific fields uh, and that's kind of how we as humankind are evolving and just moving forward. Yeah. There's some sort of basis of knowledge that some people have constructed that people that are working in emerging technology, in my point of view, they have the obligation of making that accessible and easy to people. So then the next generation can come and build on top instead of trying to relearn, redo, redeploy. Um, that's kind of like the vision I personally have about what's the responsibility of us that are working in this industry about making this widely accessible to everyone. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've always said it like you can really only have one or two domain. You can only be a domain expert in one to two things because everything is so yeah. complex now and people That's are right. spending so much time in their own individual fields that you really can't be an expert on everything. So you have to have some like level of trust in it, which I think is awesome for, uh, you know, crypto and blockchain is that people are developing things and people are working on it uh, basically for free. I mean, you know, obviously there's some, uh, you know, aspect to it that they're, you know, getting paid on, but people can just start up the blockchain, they can start developing on it and, uh, you know, work towards, you know, this decentralization that everybody, you know, talks about and wants yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, in blockchain. And, and that's, yeah. I think, one of the beauties of working in this industry, like most of the people we work with, they're just like the best people we've had, mm -hmm. like, period, are the people that love doing this and work for free. It's right. just like, for me, it's kind of like a red sign when someone comes and directly asks for money, asks for equity. Uh, yeah, of course, we like all collaborators, we want to like make them happy and mm -hmm. have them on board fully, but kind of like everyone, everyone that's willing to work for free at the beginning. And this is very specific about this industry. It's just like, they're amazing because you truly 
know they understand what this is about they really understand this is more like a social movement kind of like a social uh, such thing as a technical revolution and the sole uh idea of being able to be part of a movement like that just drives them so strong uh mm -hmm. just it's beautiful i haven't seen this in any other industry Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, the, the crypto industry really is one of the, the kindest industries, too. I mean, I go to some of the events, you know, ETH Boston and things like that. Yeah. And like these people, everyone's there to help you. Everyone wants to, you know, kind of all contribute to the greater good. And you can even see this in like DeFi. People are creating yams and like it's really the yeah. Wild West in DeFi right now. But people are developing on top of protocols that were created yesterday. So it's yeah. like it's absolutely wild. Absolutely. And I know and I don't know it. It, there's a, sorry, uh, the latency a little bit. Then. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think what it's kind of a shame that uh, crypto has some sort of bad reputation. Because, yeah, of course, there were a lot of scams. There were a lot of people that just are chasing the easy money, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But that's not what Bitcoin is. That's not the purpose of cryptocurrencies. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's a completely different thing. So I think us uh, and similar projects that are seriously working on this industry we have the responsibility and the obligation to really change a little bit the perspective people have and we show them what positive and great things can be done with something like Bitcoin. yeah yeah no definitely um yeah i i, I definitely agree and you know some things like you know the Bi like binance just recently uh, you know, help to get somebody arrested that stole millions of dollars and things like that. So it's not completely anonymous and people aren't just always scamming because you can still get caught no that's matter true. what. And I think that's what people kind of, you know, don't understand. You know, some things work better, like ransomware probably works better on crypto, but it's not what crypto is all about. And the majority Absolutely. of people are working ethically to, you know, create this a better place for everyone. Uh, involved. I wouldn't say the majority because uh, when there's some sort of promise of easy money, there's a lot of people that want to chase it. And when there's not some sort of like a structured framework about how to assess and evaluate what what's uh, a good project versus a bad project, what's legitimate between what's fraud, a lot of people are just going to come to the party, right? But that's why we need to kind of set the rules. We need to kind of like put that first foot forward to regulate to comply, to create some sort of like integrated uh, play field in which rules are clear for everyone. That's my point of view. Yes, standards definitely do need to exist and regulation can really be good if it's done, you know, in the yeah. right way. Uh, because obviously, you know, you shouldn't have a project raising a billion dollars that hasn't even been audited, but we've seen it so many times, you know, happening Absolutely. over and over. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely ways that we can improve it. And, and you know, it's still very, very new. So it's an industry that, you know, huh has shown a lot of uh, enthusiasm. Um, 100%. Yeah. So I know that you are on a time crunch, right? You have to- Yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. I, I actually have to, yep. uh, talking about regulations and rules, I have to <laughs> jump on a call with some lawyers uh, to figure out some things. Okay, yeah. Our, our yeah no soon problem. to launch, launch uh, soon to be launched in Europe. So yeah, I will have to cut it short this time, Tim, but- Yep, yeah, no pleasure problem. meeting you, pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for watching. I know it was a little uh, short. Uh, we both had some, you know, scheduling stuff that we, we had to do it. So we had to do it really fast. Um, but uh, if you like this video, make sure to subscribe. Uh, there'll be more videos probably coming out maybe once a week. So we're going to be tackling different sides of the industry. Um, and